Good morning. Merry Christmas. Oh, that is horrible. Hey, Carson Wentz got hurt again, huh? And then Nick Foles stepped up and they beat the Rams. Did you see the game? Anybody see that? Did that not happen? Am I just dreaming about that? <laughs> we are uh, truly excited to be worshiping the Lord today, and he is the one that we exalt in this church. Amen? He is the one that we lift up. Uh, I'm excited about seeing if Nick Foles does a repeat. They're saying it could be a repeat of last year, and so uh, that's thrilling, but there's something more thrilling than the Philadelphia Eagles. I just want you to know that Jesus, his birth, amen? So we, we could give him a hand clap for that. Come on, let's do it. I got sick this past week, and so you might be able to tell by my voice. And so, um, but I said to the Lord last night, Lord, I'm going in and give you 100%. Uh, you deserve, you deserve it. And so, if I give 100% to try to do what I'm going to do in the next few moments, would you give 100% in listening? Anybody with me on that? So let's do that together. So take your Bibles and go to Luke chapter two. Luke chapter two. I sound a little bit more masculine, don't I? With this, come on. <laughs> might help my preaching, huh? So Luke chapter 2, I'm going to start with a, a story, and then we'll get into the Word of God. So take your Bible app or your hard copy and turn to Luke 2. So my wife and I uh, did a lot of ministry up in New England. She's from New England, I'm not, I'm from Delaware. I was raised in Delaware and then went to Liberty University, which is a Christian school in Virginia. That's where I met my wife. Then we went to New England and did ministry for close to 30 years. So uh, one of the spots that is really beautiful up in New England is a place called Martha's Vineyard. Has anybody ever heard of Martha's Vineyard? It's an island off of the coast of Cape Cod. And so uh, we had some desire to go there, spend some time on Martha's Vineyard. And so we went down to Cape Cod to Woods Hole. Woods Hole is where you take the ferry over to Martha's Vineyard. We were looking forward to enjoying that time together. So when we got to Woods Hole, we were going to spend the night on a Friday night and then take the ferry Saturday morning over to the island. And so, But we couldn't find any hotel or motel that had any space. I mean, we were looking high and low. We couldn't find anything. And so what we had to do is pull back up to 495 up into Massachusetts. So we kept going from town to town looking for a place to stay, and we couldn't find anything for the, probably a good 45 minutes back up into Massachusetts. And so we found a red roof in, you know, and so uh, we went in there and we got the room, went into the room and we're tired. And so we peeled back the sheets to get ready to go to bed. And there was a nice little pile of half-eaten Cheetos like they're right in the, in the sheets there. And so it uh, wasn't very welcoming. It wasn't a, a space that we uh, really wanted to stay in. And so let me just kind of compare that to another experience that we had up in Maine, up in uh, Bar Harbor, Maine. Bar Harbor is a tremendous place to go to if you ever get a chance. So we were up in Bar Harbor, and there was a ministry, there was a bed and breakfast in inn that was wanting to bless senior pastors, and so uh, somehow I got connected to this bed and breakfast, and they gave us a full week absolutely and completely free. And so that was a wonderful experience. And so we had two, two different places. We had, we had a place in Massachusetts on our way to Martha's Vineyard that really wasn't uh, a good experience. And then we had one on the complete opposite end of the spectrum where we just enjoyed, we felt lavish, we felt loved, we felt accepted. We were included into their space. 
we're going to be looking at something today. We're going to be looking at the perspective of the innkeepers. We've been looking at four different perspectives on Christmas, and so I want you to look at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. I've titled this message, No Place in My Space. No Place in My Space. Luke 2, 1, in the days the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered, this was the first registration which Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who is with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them. Where? In the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field. We'll stop there. We won't go any further. I want to take those seven verses with you and talk about the perspective of the innkeeper. Now, what we've looked at already is Joseph and Mary. Of course, Joseph and Mary saw Jesus coming as the Redeemer. He was the one that was coming to buy back people that were caught in darkness, buy back from the devil. That's what Redeemer means. And so that's what Jesus did. He came to earth, and he lives, and he dies on a cross, and he's doing that to redeem a people for himself. And so if you're a Christian, you've repented of your sins, you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you've been bought back from the devil. You're saying, was I taken captive to do the will of the devil, of Satan, before you were converted, before you were born again? Yeah, that's exactly what all of us, the condition we were all in. So hallelujah for Jesus coming, right? Being born, being raised, dying on a cross, going into the tomb and being raised from the dead. He is our redeemer. We also looked at the wise men, and the wise men looked at Jesus as the ruler. And he needs to rule our life. He needs to be supreme. He needs to be a God that is over every God, amen? It's a little bit too quiet in here, so we just need to get going here a little bit. Does he need to be the ruler over all? Amen? Amen. You guys didn't get your coffee? You didn't get your steroids? You didn't get whatever it takes. Come here and be ready to be able to hear the word of the Lord with some strength. And so that's what I'm talking about. So he is ruler. He is, he is ruler. Now, if you don't receive him as redeemer and ruler, then we looked at Herod last Lord's Day, and Jesus becomes what? Do you remember? A rival. Then it kind of turns, and now, now we're competing against God. And we don't want to compete against God. We want to exalt him. We want to follow him. We want to bow before him as ruler. But if we don't do that, we saw Herod and his perspective on the birth of Jesus. He becomes a rival. Now the innkeepers. Once he becomes a rival, there's only one more place to go, and that is a rejecter. That's a rejecter. So now we've gone down the, the spectrum. Now some of you might have been finding yourself maybe in the redeemer category, and you're like, he is a redeemer. He is the ruler of my life. But then there's a little pushback now from some who would say, you know what, um, you know, I, I'm competing against God. When I asked you last Lord's Day for a raise of the hands of how many people were actually competing against God, it was surprising how many hands actually went up. All time, we, have, we all at various times compete with God. It's not like a one-time thing. It's just a constant, ongoing thing that we have to be very careful that God isn't our rival. But if we stay in that rival context relationally to God, then we become a rejecter. And this is the innkeepers. And so we want to look at this. Let me ask you a question. Anybody here would consider yourself a spatial person? Do you know what I mean by you like your space? Anybody a spatial person? I'm very much a spatial person. Is there anybody else like me in here? Raise it nice and high, as high as you can. Try to touch the ceiling. Just trying to develop some confidence, that's all, because some people are like, hit the ceiling, it's okay. Yeah, spatial, they're spatial people. I'm a spatial person. 
And so everybody has a personal space. I'm not going to get up close to you. I thought about going to the back row and sitting next to you right in your personal space, but I got germs, so I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do that. You know, but if I went up into that, you know, the audience and sat down next to somebody, especially somebody I don't know, uh, then I'm going to get in your personal space, and you'd start to feel a little bit awkward. Some people are spatial. We like having our own space. I don't know if, it's, if you're like this, but I get on an airplane. And tell me if you're, if, you're, if you're like this. I get on an airplane, and I'm, I'm kind of I'm hoping and praying that the seat next to me is open. Is anybody else like that? Okay, we're, the same hands went up. See, spatial. That's what that is all about. How about you get in an elevator, and you're, you're, you're by yourself, and you're thinking, I just hope nobody else gets on the elevator. I just want to ride by myself. Anybody else like that, right? And you're pushing the closed door button real quick, like, it's a lot about spatial. We want our personal space, you know? Any guy in the house here have a, what would be called a man cave? Who's got a man cave? Awesome, Dave. You got a man cave? Very cool. Yeah, some of you are going like, no, I don't have a man cave, but I have a doghouse, and my wife wants me to go out into the doghouse often, right? Some hands are going up for doghouse? Okay. We're talking about personal space, and the innkeepers had their space. They had a business that they would open up to those who were traveling through the area. Let me give you some background in the Luke chapter 2, because uh, this is such a simple story. It really is. It's a profound, but it's a simple story. But uh, our, our modern consumer marketing of Christmas has made it a very complicated text of Scripture. So let me go through some stuff uh, with you, some about history of, of Christmas, because consumerism has cho- totally and completely, in our modern day, taken uh, the Jesus' birth and crowded him out. And so now it's like, Jesus, where are you at Christmas time? Are you looking for Jesus a lot, and who do you see, you know? And um, by the way, if you're part of social media and you looked at our Instagram or Facebook I just want you to know that my identical twin brother actually came to town and dressed up like an elf. I don't know if you saw that. His name's Kevin, and so uh, he was good enough to wear that suit. And so some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. Good. But you're looking for Jesus at at the holiday, and you're you're looking for Christ, and it's hard because of the Christmas consumerism. Uh, Let me go back, way back. Bishop of Rome wrote a letter to the Bishop of Jerusalem asking, "When when was Jesus born? They didn't really know specifically, and so they came up with December 25th. And so what you have now is massive paganism in the Roman world, and December was really the month of pagan idolatry and worship and celebration. So you had these bishops, they meant well, they want to try to impact and be an influence into the paganism that was surrounding them. And so there was this kind of this syncretistic, in- integrated approach to paganism and, and Christ. And so you can really see that today. Again, you're looking for Jesus, you can't really find him. And so you see a lot of other things that are mixed in. Let me just go through some of these things that were part of the Christmas traditions. Uh, the Romans believed in a, a holiday called Saturnalia, or God, the God of agriculture. And so the God of agriculture, what they would do is take these small little trinkets, these really tiny little idols, and they would put them on evergreens. Uh, we, would, we would think of those as what? What are they called today? Ornaments, right? And so... That was the Romans. In the north, uh, there was those who were, you remember the god of Thor and Odin. Uh, That's where the Yuletide came from, up from the north. Up into Scandinavia, all these northern countries up into there had these traditions and these things that were mixed with paganism. And they celebrated a lot of feasting, a lot of meals up in the north. England, there were the Druids, and mistletoe was introduced. And mistletoe was really used uh, for opposing people where they were having some kind of a conflict, and so mistletoe was used so that it would help bring people back into reconciliation. And so 
if you've ever seen maybe a Hallmark movie and there's a little mistletoe there, and of course the, the guy and the girl go underneath the mistletoe and everybody's like, ooh, you got a kiss because you're under the mistletoe. Well, I mean, it really started with a reconciliation of something that was much more serious than just maybe a, a romance. And so it's amazing how things evolve. They start off one way and they evolve into something else. And so in Holland, you might be familiar with St. Nicholas. Uh, he would leave good gifts, or he would leave gifts for good kids, and he would leave switches for the parents of bad kids. <laughs> just think about that. If you were a bad kid, your mom probably got a switch, right? It's delivered by St. Nicholas. It's just incredible. And so what you have here is good intentions of the bishops, but you had this, this combining of paganism, and you had the combining of the birth of Jesus. And so what we need to do is look at Luke chapter 2 in a much more simplistic way. I mean, because everything's been built up off of this passage of Scripture. I mean, cards and marketing and, you know, uh, manger scenes and just going to Target or Walmart or any aisle that has everything to do with Christmas. And a lot of that is based on Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. So let's try to simplify this life a little bit. You want to? Let's just look into the story of when Jesus, Mary, and Joseph were trying to get into an inn. Let's get their perspective. There are three things I want to show, with, show you out of the text. We're going to experience God, or maybe we're not experiencing, pardon me, we're not experiencing God in our space because, number one, we miss the spiritual opportunities that are presented to us. Write that in. That's number one. We're going to miss opportunities. God is showing up at the end. Now, of course, he's still in Mary. You know, he's not been born yet. But nonetheless, there is this information, there is this movement of information that's spreading all throughout Bethlehem and surrounding areas that the Messiah was being born. And so somewhere along the line, the innkeepers, whoever was running that business, uh, maybe didn't know it, maybe weren't in tune with it, maybe they just got caught up in the census and all of the people that were coming to Bethlehem by the thousands and Jerusalem and all the surrounding towns for what was going to happen in that day. And so here you have these people that missed an opportunity you know, a lot of people are missing opportunities when God shows up. God could show up here, and I think that he does show up here and manifest presence. I think that he comes, and then there are some people who really understand it, hear it, receive it, feel it, and then there are others that don't. And there's reasons why some might receive and not miss the opportunity, and then there's some who are missing it. There's reasons why we miss the opportunities that God is trying to show up in our life, but we're just not, we're not absorbing it. We're not receiving it. And so here you have uh, these innkeepers that are uh, really booming in their business, perhaps, and, and they're not expecting the guest. This is the guest of all guests. I mean, if you go to any restaurant that is well-known, has good food, you might see some pictures on the, the walls, you know, of whoever these people were. I've been in the sum, and, you know, Sylvester Stallone, and he was there, and he said some nice things about the restaurant. Then he signs his autograph on the picture, and they put the picture on the wall. You know, it's Frank Sinatra. It's all these other people. Can you imagine? Here's God coming to their inn. You know, and they could have, like, God was here, you know. But uh, no, they said no to God. And so, I mean, it, it, it sounds ridiculous, but there are Christians saying no to God. God is coming near your life, and, and somehow uh, you're, you're saying no to that. And, and you could be experiencing him in such a profound way. And these innkeepers were the same way. Jesus the Messiah had come. John chapter 1, I think I have this on the screen here. Let's read this. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Who's the true light? Everybody? Yeah, that would be Jesus. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Now, who are the own? Who, who is his own? The Jewish people. So Jesus comes. He comes to earth, and he's living his life, and 
And it's the Jewish people. They don't even receive. They missed them. Can you believe it? They missed them. They missed their own Messiah. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave to be the right to become the children of God who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Here's how you're born again. You're not born again by your own free will. Something important to know, because it says it right there. You weren't born again because of your own free will. Your, your will is in bondage. Everybody's will is in bondage. We're dead in sins, Ephesians 2 says. So what this verse is talking about is that people are truly converted, truly born again, when God moves upon a person, opens their eyes, turns their heart, changes their will, and then they embrace the gospel. I just want you to see that there. You're not born of blood. You're not born of lineage. You're not born of the will of the flesh. That's human power. You're born of God. So Jesus comes to his own, and his own don't even receive him. They miss the opportunity. That's tragic. That's truly tragic. In chapter 2 and verse 1, we've already read, if you take your eyes to chapter 2 of Luke, verse 1, it says, in those days. Are you with me there? Verse 1, do you have it in the ESV version? I'm reading out of that. What are the days that he's referring to? Well, if you go back to verse 5 of chapter 1, it's the days of Herod. In verse 39, you see that little phrase, in those days. It's the days of the ruling of this man, Herod. It's difficult days. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago. And so a decree goes out. There's a census. Rome is ruling Israel, and, and the Jewish people can't stand. They despise Rome because they're Gentiles. But not only that, they're oppressing them. And so they're under this oppression. Now there's the census. Caesar Augustus is mentioned here. It's not a name. It's a title. Uh, this isn't a man named Caesar Augustus. This is a, a man who is, who is so elevated and so esteemed. That's what that word means. Augustus, you know, he's esteemed so highly that his title actually became savior of the world. This is how powerful this man was. You'll notice it says that there's just going to be the census in all the world, in all the world. That doesn't mean the world that we know. It's not including Reading, Pennsylvania. Do you know why? Hey, Reading didn't even exist back then, right? And so it's not the United States, it's the Roman world. It's the world that they knew. And so this was being, being brought to all of the people in all of the world, and all of the people needed to be taxed, and their census was going out. Each was going to his own town. Bethlehem was packed. There's no space available. The innkeepers are swamped. Can you just picture people everywhere, milling everywhere, and the crowds must have been incredible, I don't know about the innkeeper. Maybe, maybe they didn't recognize Joseph and Mary. I mean, maybe they never saw them physically with their own eyes. I don't, I don't know. I mean, we don't want to read too much into the text, but what we do see is that they're saying to Mary and Joseph that there's no room. They turn them away. I think the opportunities that they were having was probably pretty spectacular. They probably were filled up. Maybe they haven't been filled up in a long time, and so they're having a, a massive amount of people wanting to stay at their bed and breakfast, and so... But I've seen this. I've seen this in people's lives where this opportunity comes into their life, a business opportunity, or maybe they weren't doing well, and all of a sudden, you know, something really positive happened to them, and they took the positive opportunity, and before you know it, they turned and walked away from God. I remember a family many, many years ago in ministry who were living in a very difficult place to live. The house was falling apart, and it was just, you know, it was German-fested. It was just a really bad situation. And so I knew them for many, many years, and so the, the husband got this great opportunity. I mean, he got a, a great job, a better job, and he made a lot more money. So what eventually ended up happening is that they got rid of that little shack of a house, and they, they moved into this really spectacular house they had built. 
Well, before you know it, you never saw them again in church. And they never were around. I would run into them probably about seven or eight years later. Here's what happens. Opportunities come. The innkeepers get it. You know, their business is booming. But they get so busy and distracted. They get so caught up in all of that. Then when Jesus comes near or God comes near, they're just like, they didn't get it. They didn't see it. They didn't receive it. That can happen to us all the time. All the time. And so there's no vacancy there. And they missed God. Let me give you a second Here's why we might not be experiencing God in our space. Now, when I say in our space, I'm talking about our personal space, in our mind, in our heart, in our life, in our finances, in our families. That's what I'm talking about, that we don't have any place for God in our space. Let me ask you a question. What's important to you? Because you'll always make room in your life. You'll always make room in your space for what's most important. Is that true? I mean, don't you make room for your kids? Don't you make room for those who are special and that you love? Here's what I did. I did a little bit of research on American values. And so I wanted to find out how Americans think in our country. And just the top two, uh, primarily I want to focus in on the top two areas that people think are really important or they value very highly. Uh, would you stand to guess what they are? Number one is independence. Independence is super high on that list. And so uh, they're self-reliant. Americans are self-reliant. They take care of themselves. And so that's number one. But number two is interesting because it's, can you guess what it is? This is a long shot. Privacy. People value and they think that what's important is their space. Now think about that when it comes to Jesus wanting to come into our space. And he's saying to us, maybe someone here for the first time, this is your first Sunday at Harvest Reading, and you know that God is wanting to come near you, like Scott was saying during the worship. And you're going to leave here, and God is calling out to you and saying, I want, you to, I want to come into your space. I want to come into your life in a profound way. And you're going to be like the innkeepers. You're going to say, there's no room here. There's no room in my life for you. And you'll walk out here the same person. Isn't that tragic? When somebody could really be born again, they could know Jesus as their Savior. They could have a revival in their heart and their life. I mean, that's... Anyway, so we make room only for that which is most important to us. Privacy is a big deal to Americans, and it was a big deal uh, to the innkeepers. And so their space they were guarding. I, I, don't, I couldn't imagine they probably could have said something like this to Joseph and Mary. Hey, you can have my bed, right? Bed and breakfast today usually have a little separate quarters for the owners, and so I'm sure that it was like that back in that day. You know, and they could have said, you know what, you could, here, take my bed. I'll, I'll sleep outside. I'll, I'll do something. But I want you. You're pregnant. Come on in. And you can stay in my bed. But they didn't do that. So called up and everything. Let me show you Luke chapter 22. I think I have it on here. 7 to 13. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare a Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, where, where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. This is, this is profound stuff here that's going on. I, I think it's exciting because God is providentially setting up things, and he's, he's looking for signs. Look for signs because I've set this in order so that you'll know which way to go, which direction to go. It says, keep going through that. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he told them. 
and they prepared the Passover. Now, what I'm seeing in that text there is something I think is important. I think it's profound, is that there are people that will be receptive. Maybe they didn't get the word, the innkeepers. They didn't get the word quite like they got the word to prepare the place. Maybe they, and why didn't they get it? Listen, I believe this with all of my heart. Any true Christian is going to be prepared. God's going to give you a revelation ahead of time. You're going to get the revelation. Then you're going to have a choice to make if you're going to accept it and bring it into your life, that opportunity, the presence of the Lord, the manifest presence of the Lord, his anointing, his favor. These people, it seemed like it worked out for them in their favor, and they did what was revealed to them. I think that's important. So we make space and time for those who mean a lot to us. We're walking near to God when we are constantly making room. Put God first. Make space, and his grace is multiplied to you. I keep going back to the innkeepers because we're trying to get their perspective on things, and so they're business owners. They probably should have applied, I call the Chick-fil-A principle. Chick-fil-A, right? Everybody familiar with Chick-fil-A? When I first heard of Chick-fil-A, I was at Liberty University, and so I did not know that they were closed on Sunday. So that was a whole new thing for me. And so since that time, I, I really love Chick-fil-A. In fact, I, I consider it almost a house of worship. And so if you'll notice there, that is, that's the manna from heaven right there. And so I'm only joking, so this is not blasphemy. If you go to the next slide there, I think I have, there's Truett Cathy. Truett Cathy is the, uh, the founder. He's, not, he's no longer alive. Now, what did Truett Cathy do? Several, several years ago, as he was building his business, and this is a very, he's a Christ follower. I mean, he loved the Lord. But he made a decision. He made a decision that his space, his business space, right, he's going to do what with? He's going to honor the Lord. And how is he going to honor the Lord? He's going to honor the Lord by keeping the Sabbath, Sunday, holy. The Lord's Day. New Testament's the Lord's Day, not Sabbath. And so on Sundays, he said, you know, I'm, we're not going to open our store. Now that, for retail and for restaurant owners, is unbelievably risky. And so I so respect Truett Cathy, because he honored the Lord with that billion-dollar business. Every Chick-fil-A you ever go through, it's just constantly crowded. And so, and don't you get it? I mean, it's just like, sometimes I'm like so hungry for some of the manna from heaven. You know, and, I, and I'm going, like, after church service, <laughs> I'm going down there, I'm thinking, I can't wait for my chicken sandwich and my waffle fries, and I pull it in the park, I'm like, what? You know, it's like, and you're saying, oh, I forgot it was cl-. So you have two different conflicting thoughts, right? You're like, I love this guy, but I really wanted to have my Chick-fil-A. The business owners, the innkeepers, they didn't make space. What's important to them? See, we're going to make room in our life for what's important. That's what we do. I hope that Jesus Christ is important to you. I made this comment a couple of Sundays ago. You do what you desire. You do what you desire. One of our harvest groups got into a little bit of debate over that, which is okay. That's fine. You know, I, I want you to go. I want you to really think about that over and over again. You do what you desire. Everything. You're here because you desire to be here. You're saying, no, not, not true. I was dragged here by my husband or my wife. No, you want, to, you want to please your husband or your wife. That's why you're here. So it's all about desire. If you really didn't want to be here, you wouldn't be here. And if you really didn't want to make room in your life for Jesus, then you wouldn't really want to make room for your life for him. You do what you desire in every part of life. Go down that road a few levels, two detours, and find that. You'll find it to be true. And it will truly help you. 
making decisions. Don't miss the opportunity and make room in your life for Christ. Number three, and finally, we move further away from the manifest presence of God. This is what's happening to the innkeepers. There's no record of them ever having a God encounter. There's no record of them in the text of Scripture where God came by again. And they said, yeah, I want, now please, come into my life. Come into my existence. I really believe that God gives opportunities. And some of those opportunities you have experienced, some you know, some people that you know, and they've heard the gospel, they've heard about church, they've heard about Jesus, they've heard about living for Christ. They keep saying no. How many opportunities are they going to get? Today could be the last opportunity. It's not meant for manipulation or pressure. It's just reality. How many opportunities does somebody have to hear the gospel in their lifetime? Have you heard it like 30 times in your lifetime you keep saying no, 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 no? After a while, the manifest presence of God will leave. It'll never come back. And then you'll be left to your sins. And then you'll be eternally separated from God forever. So if this is your 40th opportunity to accept Jesus Christ into your heart and life, I would, I would surely recommend that today you would take advantage of the opportunity and believe on his name for the forgiveness of your sins. So we're moving further and further away. Again, it's the progression here that we're talking about. Ever heard the little phrase, so close yet what? So far? I think about these innkeepers and how they were probably distracted, probably caught up in the moment, caught up in all of what was going on. Think about modern Christians and modern Americans caught up in what's going on. So busy, running at such a fast pace. I have a picture behind me. I think it's going to come up on the screen. It's a no vacancy sign. Can you go to the next slide, John? And there's a vacancy sign. Can we go back to the other one? No vacancy. Look at this. Some of us are like, no vacancy, no vacancy. There's no room in my space. Then the next one is, there's vacancy. Is that what you're going to do today? You're going to be like, there's a place in my life, God. I know that you want to come closer in, and you want to do something in my life. And I'm going to say, God, I want you to come into my space. The greatest gift, I love what Scott was exhorting. The greatest gift ever given was Jesus Christ. Can you remember when you were a kid? I remember when I was a kid, and it would be Christmas morning, and, and my two brothers and I would just be up all night, basically, just couldn't wait for the next day to go downstairs into our family room, and all of the presents would be there. Of course, when morning came, we would rush downstairs into the family room. Sure enough, there they are, a sea of gifts. Of course, we would look for the ones that said our names on it, so I'd look for everyone that said Chris's name, and then we'd start opening those gifts. You know, I never rejected. I never rejected any of those gifts. Do you remember ever rejecting a gift? I don't remember that, right? I remember getting this gift here. Look at this. This is a classic. I used to call this Rock'em Sock'em Robot. It's not really called that. That's what I called it. I think it's called, what's it called? What's the real name? Like Rock and, it's called Rock'em Sock'em? Rocket. It's called Rocket Socket, I think. But I used to call it Rock'em Sock'em. Is it? How do you read that? Hey, look, rock'em sock. <laughs> Does anybody remember this game at all? Am I... It was awesome. I'm downstairs. I'm like, yes. I didn't say to my dad, yeah, take it back. 
Mom, I didn't want this. You know, here's another one. This was just a classic. Hot Wheels. For all those young ears in the house here, I remember going downstairs, and I just happened to go into a closet, and I had asked for Hot Wheels. I asked Santa for Hot Wheels. And then I looked inside of this closet, and there it was. <laughs> two and two together. I was like, that was the day. That was the day. But listen, Jesus Christ is being offered as a gift. And he's going to be offering himself right now in this moment of time for anybody who does not know him. You wouldn't say no. Would you? Why would you do that? God, I pray in Jesus' mighty name, by your Holy Spirit, that you would open up eyes to see the truth of who Jesus Christ is. God, that you would turn hearts. There are people in this room that are still in darkness. They don't know you, Lord. So God, we pray that you would just move mightily. Move mightily. We don't want your manifest presence to leave. The opportunities have been given for some here, maybe multiple opportunities for you to lay down something in your life that you know that you're carrying and you shouldn't be carrying it or doing it, you shouldn't be doing it. And the presence of the Lord isn't felt in your life. You know it. Maybe you want that presence to come back. It's like, oh God, I want, I want that again. But there's some things in my life that you know about that I shouldn't be doing. And I want to lay those down. I want to turn from those. I don't want to be that person anymore. Can I ask you to stand to your feet as we close? Where have you found yourself in these four weeks? Jesus as redeemer? Is he the ruler of your life? Or has he become the rival? And ultimately being rejected by you. God, please move. Oh, I see faces here. I only know so much of what's going on in your life. But God knows exactly what's happening. And he loves you so much, and he's drawing you to himself, and he wants to have fellowship with you in such a profound and deep way. But are you going to make a place for God in your space? Can we sing this song? Sing this song out. Let's worship him. Let's glorify his great name. Let's exalt him. If we can exalt some of the things in this world, and we can give hand claps to those and esteem them. Why can't we do that to Jesus? Why can't we do that to the glory of God? Right? Man, we're too locked into this world. Our affections aren't on things above, like Colossians says, but they're on things on this earth. I remember when Lisa and I lost everything. We lost everything but God. And God said, I am more than enough for you. I'm more than the finances. I'm more than the house. I'm more than the relationships. I'm more than anything. God, you're... And he was saying to me, I'm everything. So this world doesn't have a hold anymore. In fact, during that period of time, I was like, God, if you were to take me to heaven right now, that'd be cool. And now I have a longing for heaven. I have a longing for the eternal. It's different. Listen, can I just suggest to you that you bow your knee to Jesus now? You don't want him to take you down through something unnecessarily so that he gets your attention. Every knee is going to bow one day. That's non-Christian and Christian. Non-Christians will be forced to bow when Jesus Christ comes back again. 
You know, he has to do that sometimes to us. Why, why would we do that? Can't we just bow before him today and just say, Jesus, yeah, rule my life. Be the ruler of my life, not the rival. You're the redeemer. I don't want to be the rejecter of you. Are you with me this morning? Take it to the Lord during this song. Take it to the Lord. He wants to do something in all of our lives. Let's sing this song. <laughs>